Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. I am joined by Sue Andre Brown. Thank you for being here. I am Mr. Pierre, and she once was Principal Andre Brown. And uh, I'm really, really excited and stoked to have this conversation with you. I feel so like genuinely honored to be on this podcast. I've been, I was so excited when you just started as a project, it seemed cool. And then I have become like such a devoted listener. And like when I'm driving to instructional coaching jobs and stuff, I'm like, all right, I got to get my like dose of this podcast and center myself. So I, um, I feel genuinely like really humbled to be a part of the conversation. It is great to hear. Great to hear. Um, the question I like to start the podcast off with or each episode of the pod with is just asking folks who are in education or attended to education or have their fingers or dabbled is just how did you get started or um, get into education? Yeah. I mean, I was really lucky of like, I was in public schools my whole life all the way through college and, you know, with like a few ups and downs and like not great teachers occasionally had a really positive experience. Um, and so even as a kid, like I liked school, I liked my teachers, but oh, maybe I would like to be a teacher. And then I kind of moved away from that idea for a while. Um, and when I went to college, I wasn't sure at all. I jumped around a bunch. I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to study astronomy. <laughs> and then eventually I was like, well, the classes that I like are poli sign English. So I ended up doing that. And, um, I think there was sort of this, this twin push that catalyzed the leap of one, I was taking more classes that were just kind of raising my consciousness, um, even more of things that I've been thinking about, African-American studies classes, some of my political science classes of feeling very frustrated by the world as it existed and wanting to make some kind of an impact in some kind of way and trying to figure out what that might be. Um, and then Teach for America, you know, kind of came to campus and did their whole recruiting song and dance. Um, and I was like, well, this is, I could try it, you know, like I've thought about teaching before and at the very least I will like have given it a shot and learn some things and maybe this will be something that I end up loving. Um, so I did Teach for America, so it brought me into teaching and from the beginning I had a very conflicted sort of relationship with it because I was like, I don't know, these TFA people, they come in for two years and they just go off and do this other stuff, you know, and there's a lot of people, especially at that time, I was a, an 06 core member, you know, who would kind of do their two-year stint and then they would be like training the incoming people. And it's like, well, hold on, this, something feels weird about this. Um, why aren't you still in the classroom? I was like, well, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to stay for three years at least. That was my, my promise to myself. <laughs> um, and I was ultimately really glad, I was actually reflecting on it recently, that I made that promise because I know there are some people who go into teaching and they're like, this is it. Like, this is what I was meant to do. I love it. That was very much not my experience. <laughs> um, like I loved my students almost immediately. Um, that part of it was always connection, connecting, but I was not good <laughs> when I first started and I had never failed so hard at something that I cared so much about. And the, you know, I think one of the things TFA has grown a lot as an organization since that time, but I think one of the things to their credit even then is they were very explicit of success is possible. And if it's not going well, it's your fault. <laughs> it's not the kid's fault, which was a really powerful and important message, but was also kind of incapacitating when I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a ton of support 
and I, but I was self-aware and reflective enough to know like, this ain't it. (laughs) Like what I'm doing right now is not getting the kids where I want them to be. Was there someone who explicitly said that to you of like, you're not doing a good job or was that something that you recognized in yourself when you were teaching? Great, great question. It was very much something that I recognized in myself. Um, Like the adults who were sort of in supportive or supervisory roles were almost uniformly very like praising of my work. And that was also, I think, really hard because I was like, this is not like anywhere close to what I want to be doing for kids. And then you're coming in. Like, I remember my first evaluation because I worked, I was in an LAUSD, you know, it's district school. So I had my like annual evaluation. He came in once for like five minutes and mm-hmm. it was not great. <laughs> like my kids were, they were doing skits from like, we were reading Catcher in the Rye. They're doing skits. They came in and like two of my kids were up in the front of the room, like doing a skit when like, Holden is in the elevator, like going to the prostitute or something. It's been a while, but I was like, there is no way based on watching this that you could conclude that like my class is really on point. Like maybe this is part of some larger thing, but like it's, and he, we sat down, he's like, I think like exceeds expectations for everything. And it was a really clarifying moment of like, okay, you don't care. You don't care about what's happening in my classroom. Just doing this evaluation process is like a task for you. I'm going to have to drive my learning myself. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I had some more meaningful feedback from like my credentialing supervisor and my TFA mentor, but it was very, you know, they're in there maybe three or four times a year, really overall. And it was eventually finding um, really one colleague where I saw his class and I heard from his kids. I was like, oh, they're learning in there. Like something different is happening in that classroom. And he was really blunt and direct. Like he never told me like, you suck, but he also wasn't like, oh, you don't suck. (laughs) He was like, this is what I do. Um, And like, it might not work for you, but like come and observe. And I could ask him questions. And he was really clear about like what was possible and had a level of, disdain honestly for like colleagues who weren't weren't doing that and he was so clear like I didn't end up agreeing with him on everything but he was so clear in his values and like how he saw the kids and how he saw his content that it was really everything that I learned I would say 90% of it was from him and then my own relentless like okay this is not good enough. What can I change tomorrow? All right. That was like a little bit better. That part worked. That part didn't. What can I change tomorrow? Right. And I, I mean, I was alone. My husband and I, we weren't married yet. He was still in college. So I was like in LA by myself, would just stay up till, you know, 10 PM every night, like planning my lessons, adjusting things, trying to figure out how to make it better. It was pretty much my whole life, (laughs) my first year teaching. And But it it was really hard because everyone's like, just survive your first year, right? The second year will be so much better. And I came in the second year and I was like, this is better, but this is still not, like, I still feel like a fraud. Got it, got it, got it. For that first year, because listening to you, I am remembering my first year as well. And that same idea of like, just survive. To me, looking back on it, I'm like, 
why wasn't I encouraged to like, not just survive, but like to thrive? Like from the jump, you can be a great teacher. Help me or instruct me on how to do that or how to be that so that I don't have to just survive. Because I can imagine, and I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen, like teachers who come in, do that one year, and then I like, no, I'm out. I'm done because yep. I, I, yep. I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want to do well. Plus also knowing like, these are children. Like they're not going right. to get that. This is that the only class. like ninth grade English, 11th grade English class that yeah. they're going to get. It can't yeah. just be the year like, well, sorry, you got my year when I was like just surviving. Like, yeah. how is that? Yeah. How is that? Okay. Especially because I think what you said is so important and I want to hammer it. Like it is possible to have success in your first year. Like, will you continue to grow? Yes. Does experience yes. matter? Yes. Does that mean that you have to be completely incompetent and drown your, no, there's so many, when I think back to like that year and if like, I now could coach me then I could have made me like so much better and made the experience for my kids so much better. It didn't have to be so hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a hazing kind of cycle too, because I feel like so many teachers that was their experience as first year teachers. Like, well, I just got thrown into the deep end and I had to figure it out. And, you know, that's just the way that it is, which is pretty. It doesn't brutal. have to be. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be. Um, which leads me to, like, the other question that I will customarily ask is just, like, what has kept you in education? But although you are not a teacher in the classroom, as you were mentioning, you do consulting. How, why or how or how did that, yeah. that come about? Yeah, I mean, my... Year three, I came back as a teacher and I, it all clicked for me. And I was like, okay, I feel like I could do this now. And so since then has sort of been finding different ways of like, how can I do the work that I love without driving myself in insane with like the systemic futility of some of it and also live the life that I want to live and like be the person that I want to be, which is more of the questions that I've come to like later in life. Um, I left teaching in year six because the systemic futility of it was like killing me. I felt like I wasn't mm -hmm. making the difference that I wanted to make. I had all these different leadership roles in my school and it wasn't making any difference. I was like, I need to take a step back and figure out what I want to do. And I then got... <laughs> through some various twists and turns, ended up designing and founding this charter school, which is where, you know, you and I eventually crossed paths. And that, one, that moment of stepping away was really profoundly clarifying for me. Because when I stepped away in year six of teaching, I was not sure I was going to come back to education. It's like, maybe I'm going to do something else. I've never done anything, you know, other than just sort of my initial like life jobs, right? I'd never done anything different as a career. And it was as soon as I left, I was like, oh my God, I miss this so much. I miss my purposeful because, you know, I think my attitude about education was, has become progressively less naive. I think I thought mm -hmm. when I left college, I'm like, if we can get education right, like that's a lever and it's going to fix everything else. And now I'm like, <laughs> I don't believe that. Uh, I think a lot of other systems are really like need some very profound changes that aren't just going to come with more, you know, educated people. But I realized that public education is still such a powerful place. Like A, kids are just 
the best and amazing and like such a a joy space and a space of hope and potential and humor and curiosity. Um, And it's one of the few places where like just about everybody interacts with it, right? And so you have this opportunity, not just, you know, to to connect with kids, but to connect with their families, to connect with the community that they're a part of. Um, And so as one of like various levers for change, I love that, that aspect of it. Um, when the school closed, so the charter school that I, I found closed last year, there was, there was not a question for me at that point, the same way that there was when I left teaching of like, oh, am I going to leave education? Like, I know now nothing, you know, it's like the perspective you have at like, you know, 37 versus 27 or whatever. I'm like, no, this is my thing. This is what lights my fire. Like, this is, you know, if, if you encounter me at a party and the topic turns to this, I will talk to you about it until the party ends like, or until yep. you walk away, right? <laughs> which might be yep. the more likely outcome. Um, but I also realized like if the school hadn't closed, I would have kept doing that work until something probably like forced me to not do it external or, or internal But having that sort of opportunity forced upon me was this chance to really reflect and think like, okay, I know that I love this work. I also know whatever I do in education, like I want to do it at the most excellent level that I can. I have no interest in like, oh, I'll just like dial myself back to like 80%. Like that's not a place that I can live. So I need to find or define like the contours of a job that I can do in a way that I feel really proud of, but that also is compatible with like the kind of partner that I want to be and the kind of mom that I want to be and the kind of human that I want to be because school leadership for me, and I think the way that it is designed in so many ways and teaching is really the same in a lot of ways, like it is not built to be a sustainable job and to do it well, like it's best case 60 hours a week, right? Like that's you really sort of working efficient and holding boundaries. And, you know, I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old at home. And I I had this thing of like, this is their childhood right now. I would like to be around for it (laughs) if I can. Um, What if, and I feel like educational consulting was always this sort of like, you know, mirage on the horizon where we're always like, wouldn't it be nice to do that? You know, where it's like, you could just sort of define your own hours and people would pay you some amount of money, you know, for your expertise. And I was finally at a point, I was like, well, I have some expertise. Like, you know, the imposter syndrome is very, very real, but. Can you, can you speak on that? Because I think that is what, in conversations outside of the classroom, like you were saying, at the parties, at the dinners, where there are teachers who are brilliant with amazing skills. However, there's something telling them like, no, you're not. Yeah. Can you speak, uh, can you speak yeah. on that more? Um, I mean, I think there are so many factors that play into it. And one I think is just like core to a lot of service professions, giving professions, right? Like we are so focused on the people that we're helping and serving and we can kind of tend to minimize ourselves. but there's also this like social pressure towards it, right? Where it's like people really, they respect like in air quotes, teaching and teachers, but it's in, I think the notion that people have, like when I was a teacher and I would tell people at parties, I'm a teacher 
right? Especially, oh, I'm a teacher in South LA, right? Which that's a whole other thing. Oh, you're yeah. a white lady teaching in South LA, yeah. right? Compounds yeah. kind of the effect that I'm gonna talk about of like, oh, that is, oh, wow, that's so great. Like in this sort of like martyr saintdom, very much like, especially for me as a white lady, white savior sort of aspect to it. But I think it's true in general as a category of like, that's so noble, but not the respect that you would give like something you think of as like a professional thing, right? If somebody tells you they're a lawyer, they're a doctor, they are, you know, in whatever sort of these other categories, people don't go, oh, that's so great, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's just not regarded in the same sort of professional way, which I think kind of compounds it. And people will also talk to you, like if you are a really smart, high capacity, really effective teacher, Almost inevitably, at least in my experience, and I don't know if this has been true for you, there will be people in your life who love you and care about you, who will at some point use the phrase, just a teacher, or like you could be more than just a teacher. Like I remember the deep fury that I felt. Like I was thinking about maybe leaving the classroom. And the reason was because I, I looked at that mentor teacher that I, thought, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to be as good as he is. Like I can be good at this. I don't know if I can ever be like, excellent home run, like the teacher that I want to be, but I feel like I'm much better at like facilitating the department meetings and like doing these other things. Like, I think I might actually be better at leadership. I in no way think that like the job of being a school leader is better or more important than the job of being a teacher. And when I would talk to people in my life who I cared about, but they're like, oh yeah, I think that you could definitely be more than just a teacher. And what I want, I was like, like, I don't, you like, what are you talking about? There is no harder job than being a classroom teacher. And it is, and I think we do that to each other too, right? The whole system treats it as like teachers are the entry level job when it's like, that's the job. Like that's where yes. all of the work of the school is yes. happening. Yes. How is that the entry level? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so as you were speaking, I recall similarly, um, maybe it was year two or year three, some, and I think I, I was decent as a teacher, not excellent, but someone mentioned to me like, Wooly, you could be the dean. And I thought to myself, why would I want to be the dean, number one? And two, because I didn't feel as if like I had reached a level of excellence or whatever ad other adjective you want to throw in there. Yeah. It's like, what am I, like to, to think me, third year teacher, could have something of value to give to first year, Willie? Yeah. I'm like, what would I tell me? Like, I, now that I look back on it, I realize it's what you were just talking about there. Like, oh, being a teacher is like, level one but being a dean at a school that's level three and really you should level up to three and then once you're a dean go to be the ap and then after your ap be the print and it's like no shade to any principal no shade to any assistant principal but if you're not in the classroom with kids though like you you lose a little bit of that of that um what is going on like yes. <laughs> and what i appreciated in you as a principal when we were together was just that like you and the AP who would come into the room would do, even if it's virtual, like send me the message, like, hey, what is going on? You're facilitating this space. So we need to like check in with you because we're not here. Yeah. And anytime you or the other AP would come in, it would it would be just that, like, Willie, you're the expert. These yeah. are your kiddos. You know the nuances of this, that, and the other. Like you tell us, and then we'll go off of that as opposed to 
I'm the dean. Let me show you how it's done. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I think it compounds the problem, right? Because a lot of us, not everyone necessarily, but I think a lot of us have had those people, quote unquote, above us, giving yep. us feedback or advice who we knew, like, you couldn't do what I do. Yeah. <laughs> like you have less knowledge and less expertise. And so I think there can be a little bit of a fear too, of like, well, I don't want to be that person. Would that be me? Right. If I, if I position myself, right. As an expert, as somebody who can give guidance, like, I don't want to ever be that principal that I had or that Dean that I had that was, you know, strutting their stuff with, you know, three years of experience in the classroom. And again, like, no, I don't want to call out people. Like people probably maybe listen to like, is that, that me? Right. Right. There's, right. Yeah. We're all on different journeys and it's not, I don't think it's wrong to like make those moves, but you have to know yourself and what you're bringing to that role and not think like, oh, this is because I'm such a great teacher. Like I could jump these levels. It's like, no, hopefully you are more well-equipped to be the Dean, right? Doing the, the contours of that role than you are to be the classroom teacher. And we have to find a way, like, and I'm curious because I think we are at this um, sort of, we're like constantly on the precipice of like an existential crisis in education, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is like maybe yep. one of many that I feel I've experienced in my career, but it feels more dire than it's ever been of people are leaving the profession in droves. Fewer and fewer people are coming into the pipeline. If we do not find a way to really like, respect and sustain and compensate our great classroom teachers because it's like essential workers during COVID, right? Like when it comes down to it, you can have a school that can, you know, like survive if you've got good people in the classroom teaching kids. Support staff is important and it helps sustain those folks and all those things, but every step away from the classroom is less critical and your only real role, and it comes in a lot of pathways, is to make sure that the teachers in the classroom can do what they need to do, right? Get stuff out of their way, give them additional resources, give them the coaching they need or whatever. But like all the success comes down to that. And that's not the way our schools are oriented. 